The following is a presentation by The Tabernacle, a community of changed lives. For more information regarding service times or if you would like to make a donation to The Tabernacle, you can do so by visiting our website at www.thetabchurch.com. Welcome to the Tabernacle. My name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors here. Thank you for coming out on a Saturday night. And yes, we are in the book of Judges, and it is an aggressive book of the Bible. If you're just joining us, I just want to say thank you for taking a risk and coming out. Uh, Checking out a church uh, can be a very scary and intimidating thing. I don't think we always remember... um, What a brave step that can be in someone's life. So if that's you, you are in the right place. Thank you for being brave, uh, listening to that nudge from God. So yes, we are in the book of Judges, and we're going to be covering a lot of ground tonight, a lot of scripture. Uh, We're going to be going through the entire uh, entire chapter three tonight. So we've got a lot to a lot to cover. Um, I'm going to do my best uh, to get through it uh, without seeing any squirrels, so please bear with me if all of a sudden we're down a bunny trail. I'm going to try to bring it back. I've got a little shot collar on. Somebody in the back can twitch me, and uh, I'll get back on track, and if we can do that, we'll be out of here before midnight, okay? So, all right, we've got late night church. You guys are ready to rock. Students in the front row, man, they're clapping for this. Um, So before we do that, uh, can we pray together real quick? Um, We don't pray real quick. We're we're just going to (laughs) pray. Father God, thank you uh, for your word. Um, As we go through your scripture tonight, help us to see ourselves in the story, to help us to see ourselves as characters in your story. Help us to see Jesus in the scripture that we're reading tonight, the one true hero. Father, as I'm speaking, I would pray that uh, any words that are not of you would fall on deaf ears. Um, But give us all hearts to hear from you. Not necessarily just ears, but that our hearts would be able to hear from you as we go through this story that has got some brutality in it, that's aggressive, that there's death, there's falling away, and there's bringing back uh, this nation back and forth to you. Father, we love you and thank you for giving us the opportunity to hear from you, that we can have a relationship with you. We pray this all in your son, Jesus' precious name. Amen. So just a real quick recap of where we've been. We are going into chapter 3 in the book of Judges. And this is where it starts getting aggressive. The whole book of Judges is really, um, it's what we could call the downward spiral of Israel. 
of what this, this word is called apostasy, where they start to drift away from their love of God, from remembering what the instructions that he's given them, and where they start to turn to false idols. And throughout the book, these judges are raised up by God, and they turn the people back to God, but then they fall away again. And we just see the cycle over and over and over. But where we pick up the story today, where we pick up in God's word, Joshua is dead. Joshua was their leader that had led them across the Jordan River into this land of Canaan. He was the one that they saw Jericho fall. He was the one that had led them through that. But he's dead now, and there's all of these, this work left undone for Israel. There's these nations that they were supposed to drive out that they, well, let's just say there were some half-hearted measures. They didn't follow through with all of God's instructions. This land that was meant to be for them a place of peace, a place of refuge, a place where they could just be. And almost like in the Garden of Eden where they could just simply be in communion with God. But because they've taken half-hearted measures, and they haven't seen God, God's commands all the way through, they're not going to have the rest that they were promised by God. God's covenant's still in, in, in force, the promises he had made to them. But where we're going to pick up the story today, as we said, Joshua's dead and they're left without a leader. And God's left these other nations, these pagan, heathen nations, in place, and in power. And he's done that because he's going to test Israel. And we're going to see, as we get into the scripture, how this is going to start to go down. So we're going to pick this up in chapter 3. We'll have the words on the screen. If you've got a Bible, you can follow along. I'm reading out of the ESV tonight. Chapter 3. Now these are the nations that the Lord left to test Israel by them. That is, all in Israel who had not experienced all the wars in Canaan. It was only in order that the generations of the people of Israel might know war, to teach war to those who had not known it before. These are the nations, the five lords of the Philistines and all the Canaanites and the Sidonians and the Hivites who lived on Mount Lebanon from Mount Baal Hermon as far as Lebo Hamath. They were for the testing of Israel to know whether Israel would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. So the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And their daughters they took to themselves for wives, and their own daughters they gave to their sons, and they served their gods. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asheroth. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Cushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia. And the people of Israel served Cushan Rishathaim eight years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel, who saved them Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord gave Cushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. 
and his hand prevailed over Cushan Rishathaim. So the land had rest forty years. Then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. Verse 12. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He gathered to himself the Ammonites and the Amalekites and went and defeated Israel. And they took possession of the city of Palms. We'll come back to that. And the people of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. And the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjaminite, a left-handed man. The people of Israel sent tribute by him to Eglon, the king of Moab. And Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubit in length. And he bound it on his right thigh under his clothes. And he presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Eglon was a very fat man. And when Ehud had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who carried the tribute. But he himself turned back at the idols near Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And he commanded silence, and all his attendants went out from his presence. And Ehud came to him as he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber. And Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. And he arose from his seat. And Ehud reached with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. And the hilt also went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade. For he did not pull the sword out of his belly, and the dung came out. That's in the Bible. Then Ehud went out into the porch and closed the doors of the roof chamber behind him and locked them. This, this could be a movie right here. When he had gone, the servants came, and when they saw the doors of the roof chamber were locked, they thought, surely he is relieving himself in the closet of the cool chamber. And they waited till they were embarrassed. But when he still did not open the doors of the roof chamber, they took the key and opened them. And there lay their Lord dead on the floor. Ehud escaped while they delayed, and he passed beyond the idols and escaped to Sarah. When he arrived, he sounded the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim. Then the people of Israel went down with him from the hill country, and he was their leader. And he said to them, Follow after me, for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. So they went down after him and seized the fords of the Jordan against the Moabites and did not allow anyone to pass over. And they killed at that time about 10,000 of the Moabites, all strong, able-bodied men, not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for 80 years. After him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 of the Philistines with an ox goad, and he also saved Israel. This is the word of God. So this is an aggressive passage right here. And we see three characters. We see three men who God raises up to help deliver Israel from their oppressors. And there's something in here for us as we go through this, and it's important for us to put ourselves in the story here. But the first, the first thing we see right as we start off there, though, is why God has left these people, what God is going to use these different nations 
4. It says right as we start off there that he left them in power to test Israel. He wanted to find out where their hearts were going to be. See, God has a way of of even circumstances that we think we have control of, he still has a way of using those for our benefit. He still has a way of using those to deepen our relationship with him. And he's doing that. He's going to try. He's, he's leaving that door open for Israel. Now, this is Old Testament. This is before we've got Jesus here on earth. So, but we need to remember, same God, Old Testament, is the same God in the New Testament. And if we fast forward even to the book of Thessalonians, which is in the New Testament, Paul writes to us again that the Lord leaves sometimes those challenges out there to test our hearts. And he's doing that with Israel as we go through here. But then we get into the deliverance. And this is where we get to put ourselves into the story a little bit. So the first guy we we see here is Othniel. And we really don't know much about him, other than he's, it looks like he's Caleb's nephew. Now, if you remember who Caleb was, Caleb was one of, the, one of Joshua's mighty men. He was one, if you, if you were here with us when we went through the book of Joshua, he was one who stood by Joshua and said, if the Lord's with me, I'm ready for another battle. He was, he was an aggressive guy, Caleb. So this is his nephew, Othniel. We really know nothing more about him other than if we go back to chapter 1, we see that he did, when an opportunity was presented, he did take an opportunity to go take a city. And the best we can tell, the only thing really special about him was that the Lord of God, the, the Spirit of God was with him. And it's amazing, just by going through there, he delivers the people, he defeats this king, and they've got rest for decades after that. Then we, we get into the really aggressive passage here. We've got Ehud. Ehud. Again, the people of Israel fell away from the Lord. It says that they forgot about the Lord. So decades go by. Othniel is dead The people of Israel have forgotten all about the Lord. They've gone and they're, they're intermarrying with these other nations. Culture's taken place. You know, like they're, they're just kind of subduing themselves to the local culture. And they've forgotten about the Lord. They've forgotten about his commandments. They've forgotten what Joshua had told them before he died, that these are the very detailed of instructions that God has given us. You need to see these all through. You need to drive these, all these nations out. Because they are going to be a snare for you. They're going to be a thorn in your side. This is not going to go well if they're still here. So, 40 years or so have passed. Ehud comes along. God raises him up. So Ehud, there's the Moabite king. And he's in the city of Palms, is what it says there. That's where he set up his capital. Now, city of Palms... Uh, is uh, Pastor Seth and I were preparing for this message. We were working on this together. It caught our eye, and we went back. Well, what is the city of Palms? We did a little research on this, and the best scholars can say this was actually Jericho. So this was a city that, back when they first came across the Jordan, this is a place that they had seen God's 
power firsthand in an amazing, miraculous way. This was a place of a miracle. And now this Moabite king is sitting in power there. And he set up all these idols in Ehud, so they have to go and they're paying tribute to this big, fat king. And as they're leaving, Ehud gets to the place where this king has set up idols. And I have to admit, I'm, as I'm trying to put myself in this story and picturing it like a movie going through my mind, this is where, this is like in his brain where he's having a reckoning. He's walking away after paying tribute to these kings and he gets to these idols and he's probably standing there looking at them. Something stirs in his heart. And I don't know if it was premeditated. We don't really know. But that was where the decision was made. As he's standing looking at these idols, something needs to be done. We've been enslaved by this big, fat, obnoxious king for years. And this was a place where God's power was on display at one time. And now look at it. And he goes back by himself. And he confronts this king. Now at this point, as I'm picturing this, I think he looks like a Nigo Montoya from The Princess Bride. And I want to say when he, when he leaned in, I was waiting for him to say, you killed my father, prepare to die. But he doesn't. That's inserting ourselves into scripture there. But if that helps you picture it, this is him having the showdown. And the details, we, we could break that down a little bit, but yeah, it's kind of gory. And that's one of the interesting things about the Bible. That's really what I love about it. Uh, I, I would like to think if somebody was just trying to make up a story, that they would leave some of those gory details out. You know, how you just crammed that blade all the way into this guy's belly and the stuff's falling out on, oh man, it's just gory. But again, after that, then it says, by him being faithful. And then after that, they're able to go down and they're able to take this entire area. They don't let any of the Moabites escape back across the Jordan River. Freedom for decades again. Freedom for decades. And then we get to the last guy here, Shamgar. Now, we don't really know who the author of Judges is for sure, but what's interesting, they can't even really bring to give any, uh, any detail about this guy. Because it says right here, Shamgar, the son of Anath. Best historians can tell he wasn't even an Israelite. We don't really know anything about this guy, other than he had an ox goad which was just a, a big stick about anywhere from 8 to 10 feet long with a sharp point on one end and then like a shovel on the other end. It was simply used for prodding cattle along. But he isn't even an Israelite. And it's almost like it's, almost like it's an embarrassment. It's like this little afterthought here is, is the author is writing this out. Oh yeah, there was this third guy, Shamgar. Um, let's not talk about him. He wasn't even one of us. But God still was able to use him to deliver Israel. It says right, he, he killed 600 of the Philistines. Now, we don't know anything about him. Was he, was he well, uh, you know, there was all this intermarrying going on between the Israelites and, and these other nations. Was he, maybe he was the brother of some wife that was taken. He was, I don't know, some brother-in-law. But somehow he came to faith in the God of Israel 
enough that God was able to use him to help deliver Israel. And he's listed as one of the, one of the judges in the book of the Bible. I mean, to me, that's just absolutely amazing. So we, we've got these three characters here. Well, that's great. You know, nice story, bro. But what's this mean for us? I mean, this, this is, how does this apply to us here in 2019? Well, I think if we look at each one of these characters, there's a little lesson we can take out that hopefully will apply to us. So we're going to go through here. If we go back and we look at Othniel, see, he really, Othniel wasn't like a dedicated leader. He wasn't a guy with a, with a necessarily a title. The only thing that made Othniel unique is he was willing to step up. There was a need. The Spirit of God was with him, it says, and he stepped into that role. Church, listen to me. Your title doesn't limit you from being used by God. Your title does not limit you from being used by God. If you are willing, if you have the Spirit of God with you, He can use you. So often I think we put ourselves down. We say to ourselves, well, how could God possibly use me? I'm I'm a student. I've got the title of student. I have the title of elder in the church, meaning I'm old. God can still use you. God will use you if you let him. Because God's not concerned about title. He really isn't. See, what's really cool is every single person, every single one of us here has life experience. You could be 12 years old, you have life experience. You're 80 years old, you have life experience. You're a woman, you've got life experience. You've been divorced, you have experience. Doesn't matter who you are, God is crafting all of these stories together and he's giving you experiences that he can use today. If you let him. See, your title doesn't limit you. God uses your experience. He can take that, and he can use that. We're blessed with a lot of really willing people here at the tabernacle. We're happy to, we're lucky to have uh, David Hoflinger's on staff down in Manistee. He's part of our tabernacle staff. And his, his job description, his title, really is digital media guy. He, he's, a, he's amazing. He puts together these videos for us. But David has a ton of other life experience. He's done HVAC work. He's, just, he's had all sorts of different jobs. He's a really cool guy to get to know. He, know. he plays all sorts of musical instruments. And just this week... David saw a need. We had an issue with the heat down in the Tab Kids area over in Manistee. One of the furnaces was acting up. And we were struggling. We've been struggling to get that repaired. And David saw a need. And he wasn't concerned that his title says that he's the digital media guy. But he went and he got some tools. And he got that furnace up and running. And this weekend, <laughs> there's Tab Kids down in Manistee. They've got heat. 
Now that might seem like something really small, but I guarantee you for those kids that are coming, that's a big deal. And David doesn't even know I'm talking about it. I don't even think he knows that I know about that. And it wasn't because somebody asked him. He simply saw it and he says, you know what, i got some life experience. I've, I've worked on some furnaces. Let me take a look at that. Maybe I can get that up and going. Man, if we ever get so wrapped up in our titles that we forget that we, weren't, that we aren't willing to let God use our experience, we're, somebody's going to miss out. We get to Ehud. And there, there's a lot of different sermons that have been preached on this guy right here, on the fact he was left-handed. But we won't go back to that city of Palms. Remember, that was, that was a sign of God's power for Israel. That was one of the first big miracles that had happened when they had crossed over the Jordan, where they had marched around the city and they blew the trumpet and the walls fell down. And after all of that, to have this big, fat, obnoxious Moabite king sitting there would really just be like having your nose rubbed in something. But it's important, I th- it's important for us to remember this. Just because God performed a miracle in our life years ago, maybe he's seen you through addiction. Maybe marriage has been put back together. Just because that happened one time, doesn't mean that we get a free ride from there on out. We're still responsible to do the work day after day. For anybody who's ever had to tackle sobriety, you know it's a daily effort. And there have been people that have been sober for 10 years that just like that fall off the wagon. And it doesn't mean they're bad people. It just means that that day they lost that fight. See, our past doesn't entitle us. Your past doesn't entitle you. Just because you became a Christian doesn't mean that God's going to pave a smooth road for you. We are all still susceptible to all of these idols, to all of these snares. Your past doesn't entitle you. God still wants your time. Just because you gave him your attention in that moment where you, maybe you got saved, it doesn't mean it's all over and done and that you can forget about him. He still wants our time. He still wants to have that relationship with us. Just like Israel, he had built that relationship. He had built that trust by showing them that miracle around the city with the city of Jericho. But when they drifted away, he was more than willing to give that back into the hands of that Moabite king. It was a good reminder for Israel that just because we had a victory once doesn't mean we don't have to still keep fighting the battles day after day. You know, here at the Buckley campus, I'm going to speak really bluntly about this. I worry that because we've seen a miraculous growth here in the last 15 years, that we're going to get lazy. I worry a little bit. No, I worry it's a concern sometimes. And this isn't against anybody in particular, but it's very, we collectively, corporately, we run the danger of relying on the glory years. 
Man, remember when we were all over in T1 and we were all packed in there and we were doing 17 services a week? No, that was we weren't doing that many. But it was just like this really cool thing and we had to dig deep and everybody pitched in and we, we put a bunch of money together and we were able to start building over here and then the grant came in. Do you guys remember? Oh, that was awesome. And then we get over here and it's like, well, the battle's won. Cool. We got coffee. We got music. We got comfy chairs. And we get to coast. Guys, the battle's not over. And I hope we don't, I, I hope we don't think that the past of what's happened here entitles us, entitles us to this glorious future. We've got to still keep fighting. We still have to dig deep in our faith with God. We still have to be looking for what the next hill is that we need to take. Because God's not done. But if we're not willing to be part of the battle, He will find someone else. And we get to Shamgar. <laughs> no, Shamgar, if we look at like if you look at a, a map, a geographical map of where he's at, he's like a hundred miles north of all these other guys. He's a youper. He's one of those finished youper guys up there, eh? Just prodding his oxen along. We don't know who he is. We know nothing, very, very little about him. He's remote, isolated. He's north of the bridge, eating pasties. But God still uses him. He really didn't have much for resources. He had a stick with a sharpened end. And if, if we could imagine one of these ox goads and somebody winging one of those around, we've got to imagine that could be a really dangerous weapon. He had probably fended off wild animals, all sorts of stuff. I mean, we, we... But in his hands, with the Spirit of God with him, he defeated 600 Philistines. And there was rest. There was rest for the nation of Israel. Boy, I've got to move. I've got to keep moving here. Your resources don't hinder you. Do you ever feel like maybe that you've really got nothing to offer God? Students, when you look around this room, do you sometimes feel by comparison that you just don't have much to offer God? He's given you resources. He's given you tools. Whatever it might be, Maybe you know how to code. Maybe you know how to write code. He can use that. Older generation in the church, you're not out of the woods. You're not useless. You have resources. You have wisdom to offer. Our resources don't hinder us. And the amazing thing is, it doesn't matter where you are right now, God has positioned you perfectly. He's positioned you perfectly. See, sometimes we want to be part of something more grand. We want to be part of something greater. Something a little bit more hip, a little bit more energy, a little bit more closer to Traverse City. A little, I mean, who knows what it could possibly be. God has blessed us by putting this church, by putting us in what we call flyover country. Cornfield, maple trees, 
oak trees, rural America. God's put us here for a reason. He has put you in the seat for a reason. He has put you with friends you have for a reason. He's positioned you perfectly to do his work. See, I like to go deer hunting. And anybody who's ever been deer hunting, if you're really brutally honest, there's something that goes through your brain no matter where you're sitting. And you sit there, and after a couple hours, you start to think, especially if you haven't seen any deer, man, if I was just over that hill, I bet you that's where those deer are. If I was just a little bit closer to the edge of the field, if I was a little bit deeper over here, and it starts to, we lose focus. Well, I found most of the time, if I'm just willing to stay where I'm at a little bit longer, good things happen. Good things happen. But part of that is being content where God has positioned us. All of these three cats that we see in, the, in this passage, there's really nothing special about them other than they had the Spirit of God, that they trusted what God had said. But they're really just ordinary dudes doing extraordinary things. And for all of us sitting right here tonight, it's important for us to know that whatever is ordinary about you God can use. God uses our ordinary to do his extraordinary. So, that ordinary, boring thing about you, that happens to be unique. It might seem ordinary, but it's unique. A talent you have. An ability to speak. Ability to make people laugh. What is it? How has God built you? Did he make you left-handed? He made Ehud left-handed. We don't, he might have even been crippled in his right hand. He made him left-handed, and for some reason, that was the extra little thing that got that sword past those guards because it was on his right thigh, not on his left where the guards would have checked for it. See, a right-handed man would have to reach across to draw a sword. So a lazy guard might just, ah, you're good, move along. But because he was left-handed, he was able to reach to the right and grab it. Something unique, but ordinary. God uses our ordinary to do his extraordinary. And we see that that's the way that God works. We see it all throughout the Bible. We look at the book of Hebrews, at the heroes of the faith. Every single one of them is just an ordinary person like you and me that had faith in God, that took steps of faith, and boom, freedom rings out. And we, Jesus himself. Scripture says there was really nothing spectacular about his looks. There was nothing to draw anybody's eye to him. He was born in Nazareth. Where it says, it was even mocked that, well, what good could possibly ever come out of Nazareth? Small farm town. Rural America. Born in a manger. Who are the first people that came to see Jesus in the manger? Ordinary shepherds. Farm folks. All of it completely ordinary 
And God used it to do something extraordinary. Even if we look at the crucifixion of Jesus, in that day and age, crucifixion, death on a cross, as brutal as it was, that was ordinary. People were used to seeing that. And God used that to give us all this chance of freedom. That spirit of God that we talked about, that's available for every single one of us. Every single one of us. Every single person on this earth today has that available for them. Through what Jesus did on the cross, God used the ordinary to do the extraordinary. I saw a t-shirt this last week, and it's a t-shirt put out by this military company, and it says, no one is coming, it's up to us. No one is coming, it's up to us. And it's a saying that platoons might use when they're in a really bad situation, and there's, they can't get air support. Nobody's coming to extract them. And the only way they're going to get out of it is they've got to rely on everything that they have, whatever tools they have, whatever experience they have. And that's the only way they're going to get out of it. No one is coming. It's up to us. See, on the front of the stage, we've got dominoes scattered all over the front there. And we talk at this church a lot about being dominoes. And that's just simply a way of saying, I'm willing to be used by God to impact somebody else. Now, every single one of these dominoes scattered across the front of the stage represents a person. Every single one of them. And we're going to spend some time in a little bit here where we're going to have a time of reflection. Maybe that domino for you, maybe it represents you. Maybe it's time for you to quit running from God. Maybe it's time for you to take a step, to take action, to move, to put your faith and trust in Him with one area of your life. Maybe it's the first time that you're ever going to commit yourself to following Him, to trusting in the way that He's given us to have a relationship with Him. And that's by putting our faith and our trust in Jesus and what He did for us on the cross. But maybe that domino is somebody you know. Maybe that domino for you is somebody you know who's living enslaved, who needs to be rescued. Are you willing to let God use your ordinary to do his extraordinary? Now, we don't do altar calls here at the tabernacle very often. But the question on the table is this. Are you willing to be a domino? Will you be a domino? We've got some yeses. Good. Good. We're going to pray here in a minute. And we're going to move to a time of reflection. We've been doing this for a couple weeks now. But this is going to be a little bit different tonight. While we have this time of quiet... I want you to be thinking about who that domino represents for you. 
Is it you? And are you going to take action? Have you been putting it off long enough? Have you been running from God? Have you been hiding something in your life? Or is it somebody you know that you know you need to reach out to? Somebody who's enslaved, who's been living in bondage, and there's something that you can do, and it might be small, it might be ordinary. But as we're doing this, we're going to have some quiet time. There will be some music in the background. Here's what I want you to do. If you're willing to make a commitment to take some action, it starts tonight. You get up out of your seat, and you come up, and you grab one of those dominoes, and you put it in your pocket. takes action so now during that quiet time if that's you please do that or if it's during the last worship song as we sing together and that's when God speaks to you come up and grab one of those dominoes God's not done moving he's got a lot of great things to do a lot of great things to do But for every single one of those dominoes, it might be no one else is coming. It's up to you. You might be the only person that God's counting on to make that move. Let's pray, and then we'll move to a time of reflection. Father God, your son Jesus prayed in the garden. Father, if there's any other way. And you spoke to him and essentially said there's no one else coming. It's up to us. There is no plan B. You know what it is. You know what it is to be the last, to make the last stand. To be the difference between life and death. Between slavery and freedom. Father, I would ask that you would speak to us in these moments here, that you would give us courage to take action, that you would place an individual, a name, a face in our heart, and that we would have the courage to come up and make a commitment to take action to do something. Father, thank you for the way that you love us, the way you take care of us, the way you provide for us, that your spirit, the spirit of the Lord, is available for all of us if we're willing to follow you and trust in you. In these next few moments, speak to us, Lord. We pray this all in your son Jesus' precious name. Amen.